Welcome to New York Institute of Technology's podcast, The Scope. Produced by the College of Osteopathic Medicine, our episodes focus on the medical school experience and how it helps shape future physicians. Learn about exciting new health and wellness initiatives, cutting-edge medical research and technology, and how to effectively navigate medical school. We are excited to have you join us. Hello, everyone. My name is Abu Bakr Malik, and I am a second-year medical student at the New York Institute of Technology, College of Osteopathic Medicine in Jonesboro. As today's podcast host, I wanted to begin by sharing how excited I am to have a conversation with this incredible panel of medical students. Today's episode will focus on medical student views related to our last podcast discussion between NYITCOM Dean, Dr. Nicole Wadsworth, and Mr. Irfan Buddha, Senior Director at Henry Schein Incorporated, who discussed the impact of evolving trends in healthcare and medical education. Without further ado, I am pleased to introduce our magnificent medical student panel who will be sharing their insights and views today. Please welcome, live from the Jonesboro, Arkansas campus, we have second year medical student, Yash Makapati, who was recently named the Student Doctor of the Year on the Jonesboro campus, third year medical student and SGA president, Hannah Baylor, and from our Long Island, New York campus, please welcome, third-year medical student and SGA president, Kimberly Fasiglioni, and fourth-year medical student, Marnie Wilkoff, who was also a past SGA president and named the Student Doctor of the Year on the New York campus. Thank you all for joining us today. I wanted to kick off our conversation by asking about the changing trends in healthcare. In your opinion, how do you see modern medicine and healthcare evolving? How does this affect you as a medical student today? Marnie, let's start off with you. Thanks, Abu. So I think that modern medicine and healthcare is evolving a little faster than I probably anticipated when I was a first year medical student. I feel that a lot of technology is being introduced, such as, you know, an Apple Watch. I feel like I see everybody wearing an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, um, which tracks calories burned, it tracks how active you are, could even track sleep. So a lot of people are getting access to these measurable metrics that they might not have had access to before, and it can make them more in tune with their health. I also think that this affects us as a medical students because our education is going to probably change over the next couple of years to reflect all these new technologies and all these changes that are happening in the real world. Hannah, what are your thoughts? I would have to agree with Marnie. This is definitely a field that is ever-changing. There's just so much that constantly is evolving. We're told from the start, going into healthcare, going into medicine, that uh, we have to be committed to lifelong learning, and that's because it's going to continue to evolve. But we are entering this new era where I think the rate of evolution is increasing drastically because not only is uh, the science continuing to evolve and move forward, but also our patients are learning more than ever. Like Marnie was saying, they have so much access to new resources. They also have the internet and the internet is this vast resource 
for both us as physicians, but also for our patients. So I think it's something that we're going to have to learn to keep up with, but it's certainly evolving much faster now than I think it ever has in the past. Thank you, Hannah. Kimberly, would you like to add something? Yeah, thanks, Abu. Hannah and Marnie, I completely agree with you. And Hannah, I really loved your point about lifelong learning because for me, when I started medical school, I imagined my lifelong learning being learning about new treatments for cancer or new ways to treat different medical conditions. I really never expected to have to learn new skills like new technologies. Ultrasound is becoming a huge technology used in hospitals, and it is an amazing technology for diagnosing quickly. And it's really amazing to see. Thank you, Kimberly. So technology was mentioned as well as the evolving field of healthcare, healthcare tech and using all these different devices. What are your thoughts on devices taking the place of a physician? Do you think that this could affect patient health? Marnie, go ahead. I do not think that devices should take the place of a physician. I think teaching physicians how to use devices, like Kimberly said earlier about how ultrasound is becoming so big in the hospitals now. And it's so important because, you know, you could easily find any pathologies or anything that's really wrong with a patient with an ultrasound. But I don't think that these devices should take the place of a physician because you're losing the human interaction. You're losing connecting with your patients. You're not really getting a physical exam, which are all important because as a patient, you want to feel comfortable with your provider. And if you are, you know, speaking to a device or it's, I don't know what the future holds, if it, it could be really anything, me, myself, I wouldn't personally feel comfortable, you know, doing that. I would want the face-to-face interaction with somebody, but you know, that that's just me. I don't know if other people feel differently. Thank you, Marnie. Kim, did you want to mention anything? Yeah, I agree with you, Marnie. For me personally, I would want a human being rather than a device or a robot or what have you. But I do think that there are people out there who don't feel comfortable talking to physicians and they've maybe had a bad experience in healthcare and they might be interested in something like that where they don't have to speak to someone. They could input their symptoms into a machine and it tells you this is your most probable diagnosis. You need this test. But I do think that that could be very detrimental to patients and their healthcare because as physicians, we're able to incorporate our own experiences. We can put together pieces that a computer might not put together. A computer might not be looking for those rare conditions and won't be able to listen to you and the different aspects of healthcare, such as when patients have certain occupations and different exposures in their lives or at work those things that physicians can be detail oriented and ask those questions and kind of work as detectives. I don't think that devices or robots would be able to do that for a patient. And I think that could work out really poorly for the patients who are coming in for care. Thank you, Kimberly. Hannah, did you want to mention anything? Yeah. Thank you, Abu. So Like they were saying, I think technology has its place, but certainly shouldn't replace physicians. But I think what it comes down to is, like Kim was saying, a lot of patients want easy access to healthcare, and some don't want to interact with a person, with a physician, for whatever reason. 
So they're going to go looking for that easier option and technology certainly allows that, but it's a matter of recognizing limitations. And I think that's something that we as physicians can certainly understand, but patients don't always. And that's something we have to be able to kind of bridge a gap between. So for instance, we've got smartwatches that have somewhat of EKG potential, but they have to put that disclosure out there that it's not the same as an EKG. If something's abnormal, you should see a doctor, you should go to emergency services. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be kind of making clear to patients is the technology has its limitations and those limitations are there for a reason and nothing can replace an actual physician and actual test. Thank you, Hannah. I agree with everything that was said. As future osteopathic physicians, we are always taught about the importance of touch. Keeping that in mind, what are your thoughts about telemedicine and its impact on the relationship between a physician and a patient? Go ahead, Kimberly. I think telemedicine is a great tool when it's used appropriately. So not every visit could be taken care of using telemedicine. Say you have a runny nose or a sore throat and you just want to see if you need antibiotics, then maybe go to telemedicine visit. But nothing really takes the place of that physical exam like Marnie was talking about earlier um, and the ability to have those tests performed, which need to be done in person, whether it be blood work or some sort of imaging. And I think that the use of telemedicine in COVID has been really helpful because it prevents patients from having to go into the office and expose themselves and expose the providers to different illnesses. However, you still need to get the test to confirm that you have those diagnoses. So it's a fine line between what is appropriate and how far can you go with telemedicine before you actually need to go in and see a human being and get the testing done. Thank you, Kimberly. Marnie? So I completely agree with everything that Kim said before, but I also want to add that in places where there might not be, you know, enough physicians to care for the population, rural areas in the United States, it might be harder for people to actually go and see a literal doctor. They might only have access to telemedicine and that could be the best that they can get at the moment. So while you might not get the physical exam and you might not get, you know, everything that you would get probably in a physical doctor's office, to me, I think it's better than nothing. I do think if you have the ability to go in person and see a doctor, if you're not feeling well, I think that's what you should be doing. But in these areas where there might not be access to a lot of physicians, I do think that telemedicine plays a significant role in people's care. Thank you, Marnie. A lot of people also turn to the internet to get a lot of their medical problems answered especially when they don't have access to a physician, whether it be telemedicine or in-person. How do you think use of the internet in general can best impact medical care in a positive way for both the physician and the patient? Hannah? I think for the internet to have the most positive impact, both for the physician and the patient, it has to have accurate information. Misinformation is a huge issue, especially most recently uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic and all other health crises going on. I think the internet has become a source of 
misinformation and even just slightly inaccurate information that causes people to kind of go all over the place. Thank you, Hannah. So you mentioned the COVID pandemic, and I wanted to touch on this quick question. In what ways do you think the COVID pandemic has changed healthcare and medical education moving forward? What positives do you anticipate resulting from these changes? And do you see any negatives? Kimberly, go ahead. So I think using the internet as a tool for patients could be very helpful as long as they know how to use it. So like Hannah said, how to weed out that misinformation, because unfortunately, we'll never be able to control that it is available on the internet, but teaching our patients what is a reputable source. And I think that starts in medical education, in order for us as physicians to know how to teach our patients how to do that, somebody needs to teach us. So I think that should be an addition into today's medical education, teaching the future physicians how to have their patients navigate the internet and the mass amount of information that's available, teaching our patients how they should be responding to the wearable device metrics that they're getting from their watch or their cell phone. I think it's very important that we are able to empower our patients to use these new additions in technology. Otherwise, they could just be distractions in their care. Thank you, Kimberly. Go ahead, Yash. Hey, I wanted to add that I think that as we get into this era of information being available so massly online, whether that's correct information or incorrect information, we need to kind of step away from this idea of just educating our patients because we only interact with so many patients in a day, but that misinformation that's out there interacts with everybody right? We need to train ourselves to become sources of good information that can be displayed publicly and help fight the battle out there between good information and bad information. And sometimes that's something that's going to be impossible to do if it's just a a one minute add-on at the end of your, your spiel to your patient for day, right? There has to be something more as far as writing articles or putting out social media posts or whatever it is that we need to train ourselves to do in order to have that same group impact that misinformation altogether often does. Thank you, Yash. Marnie, did you want to add anything? I was actually going to touch back onto the COVID question. Regarding COVID and how it's, you know, changing our medical education. Negatives, I think that it has impacted, you know, medical student clinical education. During the peak of COVID, especially in the beginning, you know, a lot of hospitals were closing down, they weren't allowing students, and it got very difficult to get a full, well-rounded clinical education and hospital experience. I started my third year right when COVID started, so all I've known is COVID in the clinical setting, and, you know, it could be a little upsetting and frustrating because you're not able to, you know, get the full experience, and for my friends who are residents, some clinic time is being cut short, so they're not able to see various subspecialties and whatever feel that they're pursuing. So it, it it's a little challenging, especially for later on, if you wanted to apply for fellowship and you're not really getting adequate clinic time and subspecialty time. So that's been a negative. I think a positive is that hopefully these hospitals and medical schools now are aware of how to handle and deal with hopefully the next pandemic, which I really hope is not for a very, very long time. But I hope that everyone's well-equipped and is able to 
you know, get the required uh, PPE and just are able to fully understand the full depth and scope of what is possibly able to happen and that we're just prepared for the future. Yes, fingers crossed that there's no pandemic in the nearby future. One thing that was mentioned was social media and being a reputable source for your patients. How has social media affected healthcare overall and or the physician and the patient relationship? Go ahead, Kimberly. Social media has ultimately become a major platform for misinformation, and it's just so easy, the click of a button to reshare that misinformation over and over. And so that has been kind of detrimental during the pandemic. People with differing views, but also different versions of the truth, spreading different versions of information and Based on who you follow and you see, you might only be seeing one side of a scientific argument. And so that was kind of dangerous. And we saw the effects of that as healthcare workers, because whether it be with vaccines or with different COVID treatments, incorrect information could be spread very quickly with social media. And also social media has limited characters for posts a lot of times. And so that leaves room for summarization that might not be accurate, or it doesn't leave room for a person to put where their sources are coming from. And so it becomes difficult to trace back that information. And when people reshare and reshare, they might construe the information. It becomes like a game of telephone. So it could be beneficial because social media has a large outreach. So many people are on it. You really can't make it today without having some form of social media to keep in contact with people. But also there's this fact of where is this information coming from? Is this true? How much do you have to look into everything you see and you read? Thank you, Kimberly. Hannah, did you want to add anything else? Yeah, I think on from a different perspective, there's also this false sense of knowledge and experience that comes with patients having so much access to physicians, whether they're spreading correct information or not. Patients can see procedures up and close. They're getting all this information with these large words that They might not have learned before and they don't fully understand what these things mean, but suddenly they feel like they may have the equivalent of a medical degree because they're being quote unquote taught by these physicians one-on-one with this almost face-to-face interaction through social media. And they get a false sense of being able to perform these procedures on themselves. And I'm not talking about patients going and trying to do open heart surgery at home, but even just as simple as trying to perform a simple dermatology procedure in the comfort of their home, they may be doing that without taking all the necessary precautions to prevent infection, just because they weren't taught through four years of medical school and however many years of residency and specialty training, they don't have that, but they think they do because they're watching it over and over again on social media. And I just think it's very dangerous to our patients. Well said, Hannah. So with using social media as a platform to brand, do you believe that Branding yourself as a physician is a necessary element to consider in the healthcare arena. 
Can you identify any pros or cons associated with this? Go ahead, Marnie. I think there are pros and cons. I don't think it's necessary, though, to brand yourself on social media to be a good physician, because, of course, you know, all of our training comes from medical school and residency. Are there physicians on social media who have large followings? Of course there are. There's a lot of them. I follow a couple of them on social media. I'm not going to lie. But do I think it's necessary? No. Do I think these physicians might have, you know, more patients come see them because they're so well known? Yes. Is that a positive? Of course it could be because, you know, you're seeing more patients. That's not a bad thing as a doctor to have uh, an increase in your uh, patient population. But on the other hand, this could be like any person who is, you know, quote unquote, an influencer, someone who has a lot of social media followers that people know who you are. You could be under like a microscope. You have to constantly think if are people watching you. I feel that every move you make kind of has to be thought through depending on how popular you are on social media. So it's a risk that people are willing to take. I do not think that it's something that everyone has to do. You could keep your professional life professional, your private life private. And I think that's totally okay. But you know, there are people who like to brand themselves and try to get their name out there and, you know, all power to you. And it, it works for some and maybe not others. So I think it's a very personal situation. Thank you, Marnie. Hannah? I agree, Marnie, that it is kind of a personal decision of whether or not you want to brand yourself and put yourself out there. But I think also our generation, especially with all of the social media exposure currently, we all think of branding being a physician as being a so-called TikTok doctor. But branding can also extend even just to having a logo associated with your clinic, with the material that you put out there. It doesn't have to be as excessive as being all over social media. I think there is a place for it, but I do agree it's still a personal decision. And as was mentioned in the previous podcast, it's really important to understand your brand and make sure that everything associated with it is professional and draws your patients in, but not in a wrong way. But I agree that it can be misconstrued and put you under more scrutiny than you are already under as a physician. Thank you, Hannah. Kimberly? I do think that branding is going to become less and less of a choice over time. I've noticed, especially on Long Island and in New York, I'm not sure if it's the same in Arkansas, but many private practices have been bought by larger names that we see all throughout New York, larger healthcare organizations. And it's making it harder and harder for those smaller physicians to survive on their own. And patients tend to see those big names and think, oh, they're affiliated with a good hospital. I should go there. And so that aspect of branding, it becomes strategic. Should I join this larger hospital group, even though now I have to work for someone in order to get a patient population to come see me because I'm affiliated? Or can I stay the lone wolf and get my own patients via word of mouth? So I think it's changing here in New York. It's definitely becoming more and more important. 
And I'm just interested to see how this spreads throughout the country. If we will see, quote unquote, the death of the private practitioner and if everything will become commercialized medicine or not. Thank you, Kimberly. Yash? Hey, yeah, I I wanted to echo a little bit of what Hannah and Kimberly were saying here about there being different kinds of branding. And I do kind of agree with Kimberly that some types of branding, whether that that can be something as simple as conducting yourself professionally in front of another provider that they'll refer a patient to you, that is in and of itself a form of branding. I think that's effectively required in order to sustain a private practice in medicine now, even coming back to the idea of social media. When I see doctors on social media, their brand is synonymous with themselves, right? They're not so much advocating for a specific business that they work at or a practice as so much as they're building the brand of themselves. And I think that is a little bit of a negative for our community as a whole, because I think it places too much of an emphasis on like the getting famous aspect of your branding, where people are doing it for those purposes more than to become the things we were just talking about is changing the discourse and the information that's available to the public. And it's more important to some people to just become famous. And there are a lot of people who kind of abuse that, whether they're not actually, uh, you know, MD or DO trained providers and they're passing themselves off as whatever it is online, or they are MD or DO providers, but then they kind of fall into the temptation of saying things that don't have good evidence behind them, just in order to attract whoever it is as their online following. I do think those aspects of branding as specifically related to effectively becoming an influencer on social media are overall pretty negative for our community. Thank you, Yash. We talked about a lot today. Social media, changes to healthcare since COVID, using different types of wearables and technology. With all of that in mind, what type of curriculum elements would you like to see incorporated into the medical school experience to help better prepare future physicians like you all to effectively navigate these evolving trends in healthcare? Barney? So I think based on our previous conversation about how everything is available on the internet and someone can Google their symptoms and then therefore diagnose themselves with a certain illness, I think it would be nice for medical schools to have these OSCEs, which is where, you know, we have standardized patient encounters where you speak with a patient who was Googling their symptoms and who found out all this information on the internet and diagnosed themselves with something and have a conversation with them about whether they're right or wrong based on your evaluation of them as an actual physician and try to talk them through what websites to use, like we mentioned earlier, how to go about using the internet safely and how to also not jump to conclusions because a lot of people can you know, freak themselves out on the internet and think that they have some serious condition when in the end, you know, nothing might be wrong or it might be something minor that's very treatable and then they'll get better. But I do think that it would be very important to have a standardized patient encounter where you as a physician will talk to a patient who went on the internet to Google their symptoms and how to talk them through that. Thank you, Marnie. Hannah? I definitely agree with that, Marnie. I think it goes into the necessity of teaching our medical students how to educate their patients properly. We are taught throughout our four years or the two preclinical years how to 
diagnose a patient, how to treat a patient, how to recognize all these different diagnoses, but we aren't taught how to simplify into patient terminology, into simple layman's terms. We're not taught that, we're just expected to know it. And I think having that practice within our doctor-patient relationship courses, our DPR, even in OMM, how to explain these things to patients and really work through it in a course, I think would be very beneficial to our students. Thank you, Hannah. Yash? Kind of expanding on what Hannah just said there, I think it's also very important that we're trained on how to basically write information in a way that can be read by people at differing levels. And what I mean by that is when we talk about putting information into a way that a patient can understand in a patient's terms, that patient's terms are very different. If I'm speaking to like an eight-year-old kid or whether I'm speaking to like a 40-year-old adult with like a strong educational background, um, they just have different terms that I would use to communicate things with them. And the tricky thing about putting information on social media is all of a sudden I have to write it in a way that can be understood by both the eight-year-old and the 40-year-old. And that kind of adds another level of complexity to, I guess, the things we were talking about just a second ago, putting information out in social media and branding and et cetera, et cetera. I think that's something we could definitely use some more training on. I would like to thank our bright panel of medical students for sharing their important insights ideas, and shared experiences. It is our hope that this discussion today will lead to additional important conversations between physician, medical students, and patients that can result in continued positive advances in both healthcare and medical education. We thank all of our listeners for joining today.